Hello, everyone. Welcome to Like Inc. As we all know, the technology boom has been raging on for years now, and there are no signs of it slowing down anytime soon. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us in our conversation every time. You know, in our sessions, we talk about some recent buzzworthy developments in the technology world. We sit down with some amazing, inspiring entrepreneurs and top executives to discuss the mistakes that they have made, the lessons they've learned, and also what they wish they knew at the start of their journey and how are they making a difference today. So we are so lucky to have an amazing guest with us today, Matt McCoy, who is a passionate and inspiring founder. His first successful startup was the Canadian Barbecue Boys that achieved around about 3,500 customers. And it's amazing to see that he won a deal at Dragon's Den as well with Jim Treloving. Matt's current venture is Jobby, which helps employers create and post TikTok style short form videos uh, to showcase their company to the next generation of job seekers. Matt, thanks for doing this and welcome to the show, my man. Thank you, Like. Great to be here. I just wanted to pick things off by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey as an entrepreneur, and what are your thoughts on entrepreneurship overall? Absolutely. Yeah, you had a great recap of uh, some of my ventures. Um, sounds like a lot, but it's not really uh, too much. Honestly, most of my time usually is towards one venture. Um, so yeah, I guess I got my start as a student my first year of university. Honestly, I didn't even want I didn't even necessarily want to be an entrepreneur. The reason I actually started it was because I needed a summer job. And I was also approaching a co op term. And I thought it'd be a really good way to get some experience for my resume. I also had a friend that was a little more entrepreneurial than me at the time. And he really convinced me that, you know, starting a business was gonna be great for our resumes, it was a, essentially a risk-free option because if it didn't work out, then we could just get another summer job. Um, so yeah, I actually started my first year university. We started Barbecue Boys. It became Canadian Barbecue Boys. Basically what we did was we cleaned and repaired people's barbecues. Uh, as uh, <laughs> as That's fun exciting. as that sounds, um, it was uh, definitely something that people thought was pretty strange and pretty, uh, I guess, I, I don't know anyone that said, wow, that was a great idea. <laughs> Um, but our thought process was, hey, everyone has a barbecue and who the heck wants to clean it or take care of it or who even knows how. I, I didn't know how. I didn't even know how to use a barbecue. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, to be honest with you, uh, when I first started out, it was really just a way to get some experience. Um, and that was really formative for me. We ended up getting a lot of customers just because we I guess we were the only ones willing to do it because it was such a dirty, disgusting, labor intensive job. So a lot of people were just like. Uh, yeah, I will definitely hire you to do that. I don't care what you're charging. Uh, I just don't want to do it myself. So we got a little business going there, just knocking on doors. And we ended up growing that pretty much across Canada by the time I sold the company. Um, so that was sort of what I did throughout university. I, I always say I was a part-time student and full-time small business owner. Um, and then, yeah, at the end of university, I got a really good opportunity to exit from that startup that grew and join another startup. Um, so in between then, I honestly got a bunch of people just reach out asking me, um, you know, just about entrepreneurship, about starting a business when you're a student. So that's where Start Smart came about. It was just a side project for me. It was basically a, I, I, I was, I pretty much nerded out on my entire process of starting Barbecue Boys and just laid that out and made it public. So I basically said, here was every single thing I did. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't. And I just shared that with students who wanted to get their start. So it was really just kind of a roadmap to starting your own summer business when you're a student. 
because I think that's a really good place to start for anyone. And that led me to local student. Local students basically like Uber, but for student services. So for homeowners, they basically just click two buttons and a student shows up to their house and they can do any service like cutting the grass, uh, shoveling the snow, raking the leaves, different things like that. It's great for students because you can honestly just pull out your phone anytime you want to work. So if you're like in class, you're finishing class, you're like, hey, I kind of want to work after this, you know, maybe for an hour, you can make really good money. And there's no real commitment. So it's very flexible around your student schedule. Um, so yeah, we scaled that across Canada as well. And that led us into Jobby. Jobby is basically like TikTok, but for exploring jobs. So we think that it really sucks that when you're looking for jobs, you have to read boring job descriptions and you have to look through career pages. It'd be so much better if you could just actually see what it's like there. So watching videos, um, specifically candid, authentic videos from employees at the company. And so that's our mission right now. We want to build a job search app that doesn't suck and is actually fun to use and is engaging and entertaining, but also gives you a good idea of what jobs are really like and what's out there for you. I love that. Uh, that journey is amazing, the way you started Barbecue Boys and then use the resources for other people to just get started. And also based on the needs of students, getting them the uh, local student thing. I was I was an international student. I know how important it is for students to have jobs. So that's awesome. For And for anybody watching or listening to us, when we talk about tech startups, we normally come across the word innovation, which simply means that introduction of something new. It could be a product, a service, or a process. And I was reading this book called uh, Cause a Disturbance by Ken Tenser. Uh, he was asked in that book as to what tools do we need when we innovate something? And his answer was quite simple he said you need your eyes your ears and sometimes your feet uh, so i love that matt you you've you've uh, quite frequently come up with innovative ideas tell us about your most recent venture jobby how did you come up with this idea and from ideation to commercialization how hard was it for you to get through yeah that's a really good question and i agree with that approach um you know having eyes and ears and then putting your feet to the ground and and working towards that's how i interpret it at least uh innovation isn't just hey, I have a brilliant idea. Everyone's going to love my idea. And now I'm rich and famous and got everything. Um, really, it's usually just having your eyes open to the underlying principles of things, the underlying uh, needs that people have, um, and listening to what they're saying, listening to what they truly mean when they're saying their problems, and then putting your boots to the ground and implementing that. Um, so that's really what Jobby was. Jobby was inspired after we scaled up local students we wanted to go a step further because local student was really good at sort of addressing the need of students being broke, needing some money during school, but also not wanting to sacrifice their academics. So we set up local student in a way that students could essentially work whenever they want for as little as, or as much time as they wanted. So it's a really good system. By the way, local student's still out there. So maybe I'll do a shameless plug like, hey, if you want, if you're a student, just literally <laughs> register for local students, easiest thing. Um, but yeah, basically we want to help students during school, but then we want to go, we, we want to sort of go a step further and, and take more of the career approach. So looking at, you know, co-ops, looking at internships, looking at recent grad positions. So we just started talking to students and asking what their biggest problems were when they were looking for jobs, figuring out what they wanted to do. And the number one thing we heard was that people have no idea what it's really like to work at a company or really like to work at a job when they're looking for jobs. And this is a fundamental problem. I mean, if you have, imagine you were buying a house, you had no idea what that house looked like, or you're getting a car, you had no idea what the car felt like, what it smelled like, what it felt, what it was, how it performed. 
uh, all those different things. Um, and then for jobs, you spend literally eight hours a day, uh, which is pretty much half of your waking hours at a company in a role, and you have no idea what it's like. So we just, that was when the light bulb went off. We were like, this is a big problem. And right now there really isn't a good way to learn. Um, because if you look at a job description, honestly, you can read that in depth, but I don't think anyone has the patience to really go through every single job description. And even if you do, there's probably going to be a lot of buzzwords, give me a lot of jargon, a lot of paragraphs, just make a, a company sound really good or a job look really good. So yeah, we basically just peeled the onion and we said, what's the best way to see a company? We're like, well, you could pull out your phone, you could start filming it. So that's what we started doing. We went to events. Um, that were so we went to actually a really big tech conference called Collision. And it's, it had 30,000 people. It was, they took out the whole exhibition center. So they rented the whole area out. It's massive. Pretty much every company uh, that I've ever heard of was there. Um, they had booths. And I literally just brought my phone. I brought a basic like tripod uh, setup, like one of those stabilizers. I attached a microphone and a light to it. And I just walked up to people at booths and, and I said, hey, can I film you talking about your company, about your job? Like, what's it like? And yeah, I made people feel uncomfortable. It was <laughs> candid. Um, but I just sort of uh, got an understanding of, you know, what diff what made each company unique. So, I mean, there was different accounting firms. So we had different views, like what's, you know, what's KPMG like compared to what's Deloitte? And we started to get those contrasts and getting that on video is really powerful. So yeah, we reached out to companies afterwards. We said, hey, can we go a step further? Can we you know, walk around your office? Can we talk to your employees? Can we see what a day in the life is like? And we ended up doing that. We, ended up, we went to KPMG's head office. We went to Walmart's new innovation center. We've gone to a lot of different offices and just essentially tried to capture what it's really like to work there. And yeah, our end game, our ultimate vision is to build a platform that kind of looks like TikTok in the fact in the form that it's just entirely centered on video first so your entire screen is a video you'd scroll through videos of what different companies and what jobs are like and then if you want to apply you could swipe right to apply to that company so that's what we're trying to do with jobby that's our vision and that's sort of how we've been thinking about approaching it that is amazing i love that inspiring journey anyone who wants to be inspired by matt make sure you visit jobbycast.com that's J-O-B-B-C-A-S-T.com, where he invites Gen Z guests and pick their brain on how it's like to work on, in great companies like Tesla, SpaceX, Google, and so forth. Now, you have started different ventures in different stages of your life, Matt. Uh, what are some advantages and disadvantages of running a startup at different ages? So when it comes to age, I think that you can start a startup at any time. I would say the biggest thing with building a startup is it's highly risky. Like it has almost a, like it has like a 99% chance of failing. Um, so I think the biggest way to de-risk is to start when you're a student and to start something that's very low barrier, low cost of entry. The reason I say student is because you're sort of expected to be learning and trialing and just like testing things out at that stage anyway. So you'll get a, nat a lot of natural support. You'll get a lot of natural resources. You'll see things in your university you never even knew existed, like incubator, startup incubators, funding, different things like that, which we took advantage of. Um, but yeah, we started as a student. And I think my bias lends itself more towards a service, something you can offer yourself, because typically you don't actually have to, um, you, know, you don't actually have to take a big risk in form of like, how do we design this product? How, we, how do we build this big fancy app? How do we, you know, how do we do go about all these things? You can literally just go out there and offer to help someone. And if you're helpful, then maybe it's a business. If you're not very helpful, maybe you should pivot. So I think as a student, it's a really good idea to get some exposure. 
typically what I say after that is don't start something that everyone's starting already or that you can like anyone can easily start. So the example I use is like a drop shipping website. You can start that, but honestly, at this point, you can start a drop shipping business in 30 minutes. And because it's so easy to enter, it, the rewards are very minimal relative to um, you know what you're putting into it. So um, for us, we literally just started something that no one wanted to do. It was cleaning barbecues. Like literally no one wanted to do. It was actually our biggest problem when we grew that no one wanted to work because it sucked. It was the worst job ever. But the fact that we were willing to do it, we had a business right there. So I always say, do things that people aren't willing to do. Do the grunt work, do the labor, do the uh, the things that aren't so glamorous, aren't so sexy. Uh, it's a really good place to start and um, do it as a student because you'll have lots of, uh, you know, lots of resource at your disposal. And it's also pretty low risk because, you know, you can, if it fails, go get a job. It doesn't matter that much. Um, but that's not to discourage anyone who's not a student. I think that there's no point in which it's a bad time to start. I think it's always a good idea to reason down to the most basic of basic things that you can do um, before you invest heavily. So if you have a big app idea, like let's say, for example, you want to start a platform that connects tutors to you know, people who need tutoring. You want to build a marketplace like the Uber for tutoring. What I would say is first go out and be a tutor. Find one person that needs a tutor and think to yourself, what am I good at? What can I tutor them? And then understand the process. Um, you know, you're taking no risk because you're essentially going out, you're making a little bit of income, you're learning. And then as you grow that part of your business, you can start hiring more tutors. And then you can build a platform once you have a really good understanding of how it all works and you have an established network. So yeah, always just like try to go as, as narrow and simple as you can do stuff that other people aren't willing to do, which is typically the grunt work and start, you know, start early, start in a, a low risk environment, like being a student. I love that. Um, now, according to, uh, you just touched on that, according to some research that 95% of startups, they fail. Uh, what do you think some entrepreneurs or startups don't end up being successful? Well, I think a startup in, by nature is expected to fail. Uh, in, by nature, it's an experiment. So if you think of it like scientists, they always run experiments. They expect most of them not to yield the results that you know they predict. Uh, a startup is just a hypothesis. It's really just what you think might happen if a bunch of things go right or a bunch of things go a certain way. And at every stage, there's going to be something that comes up and you thought, oh, there's an 80% chance of this working, but you know the 20% happened, so it didn't work. So I think by nature, a startup is designed to fail. It's supposed to. You actually want it to fail several times because that's how you land on the thing that works. So I think... First of all, a startup's not a business. I don't think 95% of businesses fail. Like if I want to go be a plumber, I went to school, I started my own plumbing business. I don't think I'd have a 95% chance of failing because I'd probably be able to make that work. I'd get clientele. There's you know an established framework. A startup is an experiment. So the idea with, an ex with a startup is you want to move as quickly as possible through that experiment and be very thoughtful at each stage of that experiment to make sure that you're, do you're actually running the right components of that experiment. And I'm sure a scientist could speak better to the actual terms on that. Um, but at each stage of the startup, you're essentially just running a series of experiments until you have a company. And then once you have a company, it's completely different. You actually have to become a business person, which kind of sucks, <laughs> um, which I'm not super experienced in. Um, pretty much all my startups have gotten to a certain point, exited in some way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really like, I don't think there's a 95% chance of failure if you just want to be a small business owner. I think it's a great career. But if you're trying to build a startup, you should expect that it's going to fail 
you just want to fail forward and you want to um, sort of, I guess, build upon those failures until you arrive on something that could be a business and then make it into a business. That's incredible. Now, being an entrepreneur, as you mentioned, is not easy. You need to pivot from time to time. Uh, I know we were told that startup is your baby. So if it needs you at 3 (laughs) a.m. at night, you have to be there for it. So what is the biggest challenge you have faced as an entrepreneur in any of your ventures so far? Um, Too many to count. (laughs) I faced a ton of challenges. I would say that um, maybe the most recent one that comes to mind is like with Jobby, for example, we, by nature of what we're doing, we need to target a certain type of audience that doesn't typically go with a startup. So our clientele is enterprise companies, and it's basically on the talent acquisition recruitment side. So if we look at that niche demographic, first of all, enterprise companies don't take risks. They don't like working with startups. And then we niche it down to recruiters, talent acquisition people. They don't typically do marketing. They don't typically do video. So that at its core is we're going against the grain. We're, we're literally doing something that has a very high chance of not resonating or not picking up. And so that is a core fundamental challenge. And basically what we've done to get around that is start the podcast. So we thought, hey, you know, getting committing to our services, committing to something that's paid for something completely unproven is probably a very low likelihood chance. But committing to being on a podcast, doing some, doing a, a candid conversation, we can at least extract some value out of that conversation. We can edit it down into these clips that you might see on Jobby in the future. And then we can post those on current social platforms to show social proof and establish our credibility. So I think for us, how we like work through challenges is like, how can we reduce it down to something that's very non-commitment, very non, um, like, I guess, not difficult to say yes, because it's sort of a no brainer. And still a lot of people say no, like the amount of, you know, the amount of times you get no, when you even position something as the most low risk, low time commitment, high value output, you'll still get lots of no's. So that's, I'd say uh, a key challenge for us. We've learned a lot and we've been able to um, sort of push through that, find those key, I would say, intrapreneurs. So people are very entrepreneurial within large companies and build those relationships with them because naturally we're not going for a wide audience right now. We need a few early adopters. So it's going to be more on who are the types of people from a personality type that are going to really understand and resonate with what we're doing. And then how can we work with them to build this proof of concept that we can then take to the not so early stage or early adopter type of people. Um, So yeah, that's a big challenge we're facing right now. It's like intrinsic to our business succeeding. So uh, yeah, that's one right now, but there's certainly been like every day is a new challenge and I don't think any entrepreneur is going to say otherwise. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What are some skills do you think are needed to be an entrepreneur? Um, I think there's a lot of skills. I think what it, I think there's no like, you know, same entrepreneur, like look at the most successful people in the world, Elon Musk versus Jeff Bezos. They're obviously two different people completely approach things differently. And yet they both then. Uh, hugely successful. So I don't think that there's a set roadmap in terms of what skills you need to be successful as an entrepreneur. Um, but I think what it comes, it, what most of the time it comes down to is the soft skills that you have. So I always uh, said, I always said one of my, uh, I guess one of my skills that I have is I'm able to take rejection and take things not working out as planned very well. So I think a lot of people, when you set a plan, you have a vision for something and then it starts going wrong in a lot of ways. It's very discouraging. And that's something that I've 
sort of built up a strength for. I go into it expecting that it's not going to work, but hoping for hoping for the best. I guess expect the worst, hope for the best. And I would say I've genuinely gotten to a point where it doesn't phase me nearly as much as maybe the average person. So I think going into uh, situations, being able to being able to be genuinely adaptable, but also putting your full foot forward in what you're doing is a very difficult thing to do. It's very difficult to get emotionally bought in, mentally bought in, put all your resources into something. For example, spending an entire week on a proposal, building a relationship, and then one variable throws it out of whack, the whole thing's like not, like not useful. Um, it really, really hurts at first, but I think great entrepreneurs are able to sort of expect that and still continue to put their best foot forward and their intentional efforts towards things despite feeling these constant setbacks and these constant hurdles that they're going through. Um, so I think that's one thing that I've, that I'm on the cusp of learning and, and sort of getting exposure to. Uh, it certainly doesn't have a complete zero effect, but I think being able to be resilient and, adapt and adaptable are super important. Um, and then, yeah, every founder is different. I would be, you know, I, I wouldn't be in a, I wouldn't be saying anything accurate if I said, you know, this is all the skills that make a good founder especially when it comes to hard skills or background or experiences, literally everyone's different. There's no set roadmap for that. Um, but yeah, I think you typically, when I see founders that I look up to like Michelle Romanoff from Dragon's Den, she, uh, her approach is become really exceptional at one thing. The one thing that no one can be better than you at, and then essentially hire the right people around you that can comp that can complement all the areas that you can't do. So that's one approach. Um, I've seen founders like, Elon Musk tries to get involved in everything. All of the people directly report to him and it works for him. So I think there's different strategies, different tactics, different types of people that make it work. Um, but I think consistently founders are able to um, sort of push through those constant uh, things that you're putting all of your attention to that just simply don't work out or just don't go as planned and you have to do something totally different. Uh, and I think the, the best um, types of founders can just you know, constantly do that and genuinely not get weighed down on. Um, so I at least try to be that way. And, and that's something I've gotten a lot better at throughout my entrepreneurial journey. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Just wanted to get uh, some context on what are your predictions about the future of entrepreneurship? I know people are saying there is a recession that's coming. Do you think it's going to affect the future of entrepreneurship or starting a startup at all? Well, I think uh, the nature of, you know, my age and my, uh, you know, upbringing, having not really been born into a recession or, or seriously gone through one, um, for context, so I'm 25 right now. And when the financial collapse happened, I was in elementary school, so it had zero impact on me. So I've, I'm probably in the worst position to speak on current macroeconomic conditions, because uh, genuinely, I've only been raised in good economic times. And a little bit of me is scared for, you know, what does bad economic times look like? Um, but I think a lot of, I guess, when it comes to recessions, when it comes to like short term things, a lot of those can be distractions and can really pull you away. Um, for example, when I find when I check social media often, I'm like, oh, wow, the world's falling apart, everything like, like, I need to just I need to get a job at a bank. So I'm safe. I need to, you know, just quit everything I'm doing. Um, but when I don't check social media, I think very clearly and I actually uh, push through it and things work out genuine, generally better. Um, so yeah, first prediction is I have no idea what's going to happen uh, with uh, the current recession and trends that way. Um, but I think 
largely speaking on a high level, I think there is a huge decentralization of things happening um, in my own space when it comes to, you know, hiring jobs, recruitment, there's a huge decentral element of that now where people used to go to, let's say a newspaper ad or a careers page to, you know, apply for jobs. And nowadays people just go out there on social media. They see, you know, if I want to work, uh, if I want to look up working at Deloitte, I can see about a thousand different videos of different people talking about their job, showing their job. And that's, uh, I think, inherent in a lot of industries where you're going to, where there's a ton of decentralization of how information is shared and communicated. And also just how people can go about starting businesses and being entrepreneurs. I think most people inevitably inevitably will be an entrepreneur in some way, shape, or form uh, down the line. So it'll just be, hey, I'm you know I'm a full time startup founder, or hey, I you know I'm really good at digital marketing, so I do this on the side with a couple of people, or hey, I help out with graphic design, or you know I'm a music teacher on the side. I think everyone will be entrepreneurial in some way, and that's already the case. And I think that's just going to keep speeding up to a point where you know everyone's sort of a free agent. Uh, in the market, just using their skills. But I think a lot of people still have jobs and, and traditional things as well. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing. And I echo what you said. After COVID, people are just uh, thinking about other options, especially if they want to start a side gig or something of their own. That's something they're looking for. Shifting gears a little bit about yourself. Tell us about a successful day in your life as an entrepreneur. And I know it's chaotic. Sometimes you have to attend meetings and all that. What is a successful day in Matt's life? I think um, for better or for worse, I attribute success to the actual tangible metrics. And I've always tied it to sales and to, um, you know, to customer stuff. So um, yeah, I would always tie it to maybe uh, some of the big days that I've closed a big deal um, or gotten a sale. So one of my, you know, one of my most iconic days I'll never forget is the first day of Canadian Barbecue Boys. Um, I genuinely mean it when I say we had no idea what we were doing. We had, I, I'd never used a barbecue before. Everyone's like, you're going to start a barbecue services business. I'd never used a barbecue before. Uh, so people are like, what are you going to do? I'm like, oh, I'll figure it out. Like, I'm sure I can find information. Or I'm sure I can learn uh, on the job. So uh, just to paint that picture, basically we had exams. It was our first year of university. So we finished up exams and then we got home after exams and it was a Saturday and we were like, okay. So we don't have summer jobs. This is our summer job. We put all these plans. Like we literally spent the whole uh, second semester planning. And I was like, so what do we do? We don't have any customers. So we just decided we'd go out and knock on doors in our neighborhood. We picked my neighborhood because we were at my house. So again, we had no idea what we were going to do. I like Googled a sales script uh, that I found online. I typed it out. It was literally like a page long, like literally like 500 characters. This thing was an essay. Um, and I just memorized practice like all day and night. And then we went out the next day, uh, we were right on my street and we literally walked around the street for, I'm going to say an hour and a half before we like, actually knocked on our first door. Cause it was like, no, you knock on the first door. It was like, no, you knock on the first door. It was like, we were terrified. We literally like, there's so many things at play. Like we didn't know what we were doing. We'd never done sales. We literally knew nothing. So finally I saw a gentleman outside on his lawn and I said, you know, it's now or never. And I went up to him. I gave the worst sales pitch of human history i think i talked for four minutes straight before he even opened his mouth and he started laughing during it he was like this is hilarious and then afterwards he's like i still don't know what you're offering but you're clearly super passionate about this you clearly want to do something for me so yeah like let's do it um so my first the first person i talked to ever about our company was a customer it was a sale 
And that really gave me a lot of motivation. So we ended up getting four sales on our first day out, which happened to be enough jobs for the next day. And then we started on that trend of going out, doing jobs all day, getting sales for the next day and eventually scaling up from there. Um, so yeah, that was a really memorable moment talking to the first person that ever became a customer. I think that's every entrepreneur's dream when you have all these ideas, you have all these plans, you see what it's going to be, but then getting there is the not so fun, not glamorous part. So getting your first customer, I will literally never forget. And it's been like that for every business since then. Um, the first customer is always the hardest and it's always a different path, but that was a pretty iconic day getting our first $40 sale uh, and then, uh, and then starting our business from there. Thank you for sharing. I know when you start a startup, you have different stages. What part of being an entrepreneur is your favorite? Is it the ideation? Is it like finding a co-founder? Is it like talking to the customers about their pain points and giving them a solution? What is your favorite point and part of being an entrepreneur? The funny thing is my current co-founder, Alex and I were talking about this and we were like, we hate start building startups we hate the early stages because we're both very high level like long-term thinkers and so we hate it <laughs> we hate doing the grunt work we hate doing this stuff at the beginning um, especially if it's stuff we know we're not good at and we're just sort of doing because we're resource constrained we can't hire like 50 people to do all the specialties so we the short answer is we don't like it we don't like doing the early stages um, but if I were to say the, my favorite thing is going out in person and talking to people. That's literally the best. I've never seen anything that compares to it, especially when you're in the early stages of a startup. Because number one, most people stay behind a screen. The amount of startup founders that I know, they're like, oh, I'm building a tech uh, startup or I'm doing, you know, this, this, and this. So I just, you know, build really good, fancy content, Instagram graphics, or I build a fancy website. I'm like, have you talked to a single person? like actually face-to-face -face talk to them. And they're like, no. So the biggest, it's so weird to say, but the biggest differentiator of an early stage startup founder, like from one to the next is, are you willing to go out to someone in person and talk to them? So for us, like when we had the idea for Jobby and we started working on it, we spent probably about a month or so and we didn't really get anywhere because it was all just hypothesis talking. It was just like, hey, I think this, I think that this article says this, you know, these people say this. And then I was just like, hey, there's a, I just got this opportunity as in the next 36 startup incubator. And I got a message in Slack saying, hey, we got uh, a set of free tickets for this event. It was like a, you know, it was like a thousand dollars to attend. And they're like, we got free, free tickets, first come, first serve. I got the, it was on a Saturday. I don't check Slack on Saturdays usually. And I got the notification. I looked at it. I was the first person to respond. So I got the tickets for this uh, event. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm going out in person. I'm going to talk to as many people as I can, see what happens. And then the night, and I found out that out like two nights before the event. So I didn't really have time to make a plan. And so I was like, Hey, I have my phone. I have this content equipment that I had from a previous startup. And so I just brought, I was like, Hey, like I said to Alex, my co-founder, I was like, Hey, what if I just film people there? Like, what if I just like talk people and film people? He's like, I don't know, like kind of a weird thing to do, but I guess. So I just showed up, started filming people. And then um, it just sort of, I just sort of parlayed that into conversations with them afterwards, built the relationship from there. So literally go out in person. That is like the number one thing I always say is like the go out in person. That's my favorite part. I'm not even an extroverted person. I'm actually very introverted in my personal life. So it's not that I get energy from talking to people. It's just, you learn so much from a face-to-face -face conversation that you don't get when you're remote or what you don't get over email 
um, you can actually, when you can actually see how someone reacts to what you're saying and you can sort of talk in that sense, you can learn so much. So I'd say I fast track a ton of learning from talking in person. And when I fast track stuff, I'm happy. So therefore, um, my favorite part is going out in person, talking to people. I always find I make a ton of progress. Um, and that falls in any stage of the startup. Doesn't matter if it's just getting started or if it's later stage. Uh, I will always be out finding every opportunity I can to talk in person or meet with people in person, even if it's super inconvenient. I can echo what you just mentioned, because when I was also working on a startup idea, uh, the best part was just going and asking and talking to people and get, do you have a mentor? And if yes, what is the best advice you've received from them? That's a good question. I, okay. So uh, truthfully speaking, I've had mentors um, every, like ever since the beginning, um, it started off as my dad, as cheesy as that sounds. My dad was um, very, uh, like my dad went the corporate route, but he had a lot of experience. Um, he started in sales, worked his way up to upper management. So he had a lot of that hard work, that grind and that spirit. Um, and my dad actually, before he got started in the corporate world, he did one of those student franchises, um, similar to college pro or student works. Um, but at his time, it was fences because I guess people didn't have fences in the seventies. I don't know. Um, but it was a student franchise. It was called King fence and he did fencing. So, um, a lot of that was very similar to what I was doing with my startup. Cause they're both summer businesses. So turned to my dad for mentorship. Um, my dad always taught me actually probably reverse of what business advice was, but he always taught me to have a balance. So he, he could kind of, we kind of, um, understood each other. We understood that we could both just go all day long, all night, every single day, which is what I did at the beginning. And one of the first most important lessons was you're going to burn yourself out. Um, you know, you're going to, it's ultimately going to have a negative effect. You got to have that balance. And of course, being 18, I didn't listen to him and I went, burnt myself out like crazy. I literally worked 12 hours a day for the first 30 days of our business, didn't take any weekends. And then I was completely burnt out. I was like, I don't even want to do this anymore. We were, we were having so much success and I was so unhappy because I was just like, I literally don't have the energy. I don't even, I'm not even excited to do this right now. Um, so his advice was to have that balance, have a work-life balance, you know, make sure that, you know, channel all of your energies and, you know, understand that you're ambitious and you want to go out there all the time, but it's only going to backfire in the long term if you're trying to do something that's sustainable. So that was one of the first key advice, pieces of advice. Um, and then, yeah, throughout my business journey, I started to get mentors that were more specific to what I was doing. So I went to the startup incubator at my university. We got some funding. We also got matched with a mentor that I built a really good relationship with. Um, and I wouldn't say that I got necessarily any super valuable advice, but the mentor, having a mentor itself is really valuable because you can bounce ideas off someone and get a third party perspective, especially when you have a business partner and it's sort of one v one on a lot of those decisions, having a third party that sort of doesn't have a stake in what you're doing is super valuable. Even if they're not giving you like those quote unquote, great pieces of those great nuggets of advice, those great quotes that you read in a book, just having someone on a day-to-day -day basis consistently is super valuable. Um, but yeah, I'd say I, I, I have, now I have so many mentors, so many people I talk to. Um, I would say for mentorship in general, I never expect someone to commit to being a mentor for me. Rather, I always try to start it off based on a question that's very specific to their expertise. And then if we connect, we hit it off, then I'll occasionally ask them questions down the line and we'll, uh, you know, we'll sort of talk on an occasional basis. Um, so I haven't really formed that like mentorship mentee where you have someone you can message all the time, that kind of thing. I think maybe that's part of, you know, a, a part of me not wanting to impose on someone. 
Um, but I would say I have a lot of mentors that are very specific, have a very specific skill set that I turn to for that specific skill. Amazing. Uh, you did mention that it's very important to stay away from the social media, the news, the negativity, just to keep yourself focused. And that's what you do as well. So I just wanted to uh, ask you to share with us some tools or resources that you have found useful uh, for anybody who is starting out to be an entrepreneur or who, who is established entrepreneur. Uh, do you have anything to share with us? Um, the biggest tool is just being too busy to ever check social media. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I honestly, uh, I, I think for me, it just came out of necessity. I used to check social media all the time, used to be super addicted to just scrolling through Instagram, TikTok, uh, those types of platforms. But then honestly, I just got way too busy. And it brought me more anxiety that I was checking than I was getting value out of it in terms of the dopamine exchange. So I was no longer getting the dopamine from watching videos, because I was just feeling too anxious about how I was using my time. So to be honest, I think when it comes to like, crafting a strategy or a plan on if let's say for example your goal is to stop checking social media and start reading instead I think you have to put yourself in a position where you don't have the option so for me in university for example with my having my business was always a really good way to keep me focused on school because before I had my business I literally slacked all the time I always put things towards the end of the deadline I wasted a ton of time but once I had my business I was like, I literally can't afford to waste time studying. Like if I'm studying, it has to be productive time. It has to be well used. So I'm not going to just like say, hey, I'm going to the library all day. I'm going to have a productive day. It was like, hey, I have like three hours right now to study. Let's make it count and let's use that time. So I think for me, the only thing that's ever worked in the long term doesn't have doesn't come down to a certain technology tool or certain book. It's just putting yourself in a position where you don't have the option to do the thing that you don't want to do. So for me right now, I have, you know, I have to book meetings all day. I have to message people throughout the day and then I have to execute on current deals and things like that. So I simply don't have the time to check social media. And then in my personal life, I'm very intentional about how I spend my time, you know, in my relationship. I make sure that we have quality time together and I make sure that I eat well. So I make sure that I actually cook my meals. So quite honestly, I just don't have the time anymore. And that's by design. I don't want the time to go through, you know, Instagram mindlessly uh, throughout the day like I used to. Um, but that's been the only effective strategy is being is putting yourself in a position where you're too, uh, you know, you're too busy, um, but also too intent. Like you're you're super intentional with how you're blocking out your time, so you just don't have time to check through those things. It's tough to do. I'm not perfect at it. I still do. I have an important deadline. I'll still pull out Instagram just to like see something or like Elon Musk Twitter stuff. I can't like I can't resist the urge when he puts out like the Twitter files. I'm like, hey, I have to whatever I'm doing, I have to draw. I have to read this. So there's obviously I'm not perfect with it. Um, but I think that putting yourself in a position where it's not like I want to do this. So I'm going to I'm going to start trying to read for 15 minutes instead of checking social media. It didn't work for me when I tried that. I did it for a couple of days. The habit got lost. But when I put myself in a position where it's like your time actually, you know, it means something. If you're not doing this, then you're not, then you're actually taking away from a core goal of yours. Um, that was the most effective strategy for me. So yeah, I don't have any tools, don't have any tips. Just make yourself so, uh, so busy that you literally can't, uh, it's probably terrible advice. Actually don't follow that. Anyone who's going to be listening probably shouldn't follow that, but that was the uh, that was what worked for me. I just made sure I was super intentional with my time and didn't have time to do anything else. I love that. Thank you for sharing with us. Just to wrap things up here, uh, Matt, here are some fun questions for you. Tell us uh, some fun fact about you that most people don't know yet. 
Um, well, I'm a huge sports fan. I do still find time for that. Um, and I, the fun fact that I like to, it's kind of a brag, but I actually went to California for the Golden State uh, Toronto Raptors finals game, game six in 2018. And I saw them, I saw the Raptors win their first and only title uh, in person with my dad. Um, I didn't buy the tickets, my dad did. <laughs> so I didn't have the money to do it. But um, yeah, we flew down to California, went to Golden State, Toronto Raptors. So yeah, I'm a diehard sports fan, Raptors and Leafs all the way. Share with our audience, how can they get in contact with you? Honestly, just DM me on LinkedIn. Um, that's fine. Like I'm always on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm sure you'll put a link to some sort of website. You can always you know, check that out. Um, but yeah, just DM me on, on my LinkedIn or just follow me on LinkedIn. And yeah, it's probably the best way to reach out if you ever just want to chat or you want to see what, uh, you know, some of the things I'm working on. Perfect. Matt, you've been very generous with your time. I want to thank you so much for this amazing conversation that we had today. And also amazing to have you on the show. You're incredible. And I hope to have you on the show again. Uh, for everyone who is watching or listening, make sure you follow Matt on his LinkedIn and also follow his podcast, jobbycast.com. That's J-O-B-B-Y-C-A-S-T to hear from Matt and his Gen Z guests for some incredible insights. Matt, thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Great to be here.